Okay, you ready? You can hear me okay? Great, we're on? Perfect. Awesome. Let's go. I'm Peter Little, lead pastor at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. We're cultivating a community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world. And you're listening to our Sunday Sermons podcast. To learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. Thanks for listening. Uh, hey, everybody. My name is Peter, and um, this also is Peter reminding you about Easter. So we'll just leave him right there. And uh, yeah, I, I got the joke. I hear what you're saying. Like, he's, he's so quiet. It's like he doesn't have much to say. It's great. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Hey, elevate your mind and you elevate your world. Uh, rise in your mind and you will rise in your world. Uh, elevate yourself, make elevation your religion, and you shall reach infinity. Um, life isn't about finding yourself, it's about creating yourself. Also, the Lord helps those who help themselves. Now, all of that is pretty popular language today, and none of it is biblical. Let's pray. Jesus, we do pray this morning that you would help us to hear your voice, that your voice would be the primary voice we hear, that your voice would drown out the other less helpful voices. So teach us this morning that we might be listeners so that we might be lovers, so that we might be followers of you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So the disciples, they knew that their argument along the way was something that would not be very pleasing to Jesus. They knew as soon as Jesus asked them, hey, what, um, Alice, I love how you read this, what were you guys arguing about? What were you discussing? And they knew right away, as soon as Jesus asked them, that what they were arguing about, what they were discussing, that is, who is the greatest, was not pleasing to Jesus. They had been watching Jesus. They had been listening to Jesus as Jesus courageously gave himself in the service of those around him. And these disciples had chosen to follow Jesus on that way of giving themselves away. And they knew that they're jockeying for position, jockeying for the position of the greatest, was, had no place in the way of following Jesus. We know they've been arguing about who was the greatest. It's, you know, likely they were arguing about which one of them was the greatest, although it's really not clear. They could have been arguing about just who in general was the greatest. You know, like was it Moses or Deborah or Esther or who was it? Was it David? Listen to this. Uh, New Testament scholar Ben Witherington, he says, the truly great one has just said to them that the route of self-sacrifice, not self-aggrandizement, is the route to go. But the disciples are headed full speed in the opposite direction. Jesus had just said to them that he must lay his life down, and if they are to follow him, they also must pick up their cross 
and carry it and bear it and follow him. Even after this episode where they're arguing about who is the greatest, a little bit afterwards, two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, apparently they weren't listening very well, they approach Jesus and they request, hey, Jesus, so here's the deal. Um, When you reign as king, when your kingdom comes, uh, can we sit on your left and at your right on your throne of glory? What were they doing? They were seeking self-aggrandizement not self-sacrifice. They were trying to elevate themselves. And if life is about creating yourself, as George Bernard Shaw says, then these guys were doing that. They were trying to create themselves in terms of greatness. And if you can reach infinity by elevating yourself, as Yogi Harbhajan Singh says, then these guys, they're trying to elevate themselves to infinity, to greatness. I want to say to infinity and beyond. It's like, (laughs) don't, don't you just hear that in the back of your mind? They want to elevate themselves to infinity and beyond. Well, I can imagine Jesus um, thinking to himself at this point, oh, you guys, (sighs) have you not been listening to a single thing I've said? Have you not seen a single thing I have done. Uh, But thankfully, Jesus is a lot more patient than I am. And so instead of lecturing them or instead of uh, chastising or reprimanding the disciples, verse 35 says that he sat down, he called the 12 closer to himself. Boy, that's beautiful, isn't it? He called them closer to him. And he began to explain again just how greatness in the kingdom of God actually works. Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else, says Jesus. Uh, This was a picture that was uh, popular. It was um, a number of years ago. It circulated around the internet. Maybe you saw it when it was circulating. This was a photo taken in 2011 at uh, Wood Buffalo National Park in northern Alberta. It's taken by this guy named Chadden Hunter for the BBC series called Frozen Planet. If any of you saw that, uh, this was a photo taken for, uh, for that series. The image became popular because it started to circulate with a caption that was added to it later, a caption which explained what was going on. And in this caption, it explained that um, these wolves, who are um, all in a line here, that the first three wolves, who are sort of out by themselves, These are the weakest three wolves in the pack, and the pack places them in front so that they can set the pace, so that they all go at the pace of the weakest. Then um, there's a group of five sort of near the very back. These are the five strongest wolves. They're near the back. And then last and alone is the alpha, and he controls everything from the rear. It's in that position that he can see everything and he can decide where to go. Now, the only problem with this explanation um, is that it is entirely incorrect. (laughs) Uh, Some of you are starting to get real nervous because maybe you knew that and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe uh, Peter's talking about this. This is so, this is proven so false. So according to the International Wolf Center, 
Uh, the caption is not an accurate description at all about the behavior that is exhibited in this photo. Uh, the reason that the wolves are traveling in a line is very simple. It's just to conserve energy. It's the same reason geese fly in a V formation. And uh, the three wolves that are in the front are the three wolves that are working the hardest as they break path, break trail through the deep snow. Uh, that's why the weakest ones would definitely not be in front. They're the ones who are working the hardest. Uh, that lone wolf in the back is uh, very likely not the alpha wolf. In fact, alpha wolf is not really language that is used anymore by wolf professionals. Apparently, there are people in the world who are wolf professionals. And uh, this one in the back is by him or herself because um, it has just uh, fallen behind, you know? I just got tired or maybe it, you know, took a little detour to check something out and now it's a little bit uh, behind. So why am I talking about something that is categorically untrue and showing you a picture of it? And the reason is this. It certainly raised the question for me, why did this picture with that incorrect caption go viral? Why was it so popular? It's just a photo of 20 wolves in a line. Why was this so popular? And I think it's because there's something about that view of strength, even though it's incorrect for the wolves here, that view of strength, that view of greatness, that view of leadership, there's something about that that appeals to us. It resonates with us in some deep way. It's almost as if <laughs> the Lord created us in such a way that this view of greatness, this view of strength, would resonate with our hearts. We somehow know deep in our bones that greatness and servanthood are synonyms. That greatness and servanthood are synonyms. We know that an attitude of me first, even though we are tempted and often go in that direction, is not what we were created for. Just like the disciples who, as soon as Jesus asked the question, what were you talking about? They knew right away. We also know, me first, is not what we were created for. We know that you first is a much more fulfilling way to live because it's the kind of life that we were designed, created, wired up to live. You guys, I'm going to tell a story um, that has a picture associated with it. And in this story, I'm the hero. And um, I don't really like to do this. I don't do this very often, first of all, because there are very few stories like this where I'm the hero. Secondly, uh, because I think it's just weird to tell stories where you are the hero. Uh, but I think it's a good story. And I say this, especially for those of you who are new and uh, I don't want you to go away thinking like, wow, that guy is so full of himself. Um, I'm much better than that. <laughs> Thank you for getting that joke. That's good. So um, this is a picture of a group of young adults descending from Mount Adams in Northern California. And uh, there are about 10 people in this group, this group of young adults that I led uh, to the summit and back of Mount Shasta. And they're all together and they're all in front of me. I used to lead a lot of outdoor adventures and uh, where I would take people who had never done anything like that before and I would take them on these adventures and almost always I would lead from the back because that's the place from which I could serve the group best. And it's often the place where I could serve those who are struggling the most. 
When this group on Mount Shasta was making its way down uh, this section, it's called the Heart, this big steep snowfield. We were making our way um, down this steep snowfield. When we got back to base camp, where we had left um, at some ungodly hour uh, in the morning, like one o'clock or something like that, earlier that day, we got back to base camp. A good friend of mine and mentor and boss at the time, his name is Tim Shaw. Some of you have met him. He's been here a few times. Uh, He was waiting for us. He decided to stay at base camp for the day and skip summit day. When we got back, he offered to me one of the finest compliments that I have ever received. And he said to me something like this. He said, you know, as I looked up about 2,000 feet up on the mountainside, even before I could tell who those people were, I knew that it was your group, Peter, because you were all together and you were all having fun. I think he probably had no idea that I would be talking about this and preaching about this 19 years later. It's amazing what you think are simple words of affirmation that can have an impact, especially on people who are younger. More on that later. You were all together and you were all having fun. Even in this really, like extremely physically and mentally demanding scenario. I know how to lead with strength in an outdoor adventure kind of atmosphere, especially with people who are afraid, people who are unsure, intimidated, uncertain. I can keep us together, and I can get us all together to our destination. And the way to do that is by leading from behind. Leading with strength is about strengthening others. And you can do that best when you choose to be last instead of first. It turns out greatness is found in not elevating yourself, but in elevating others, which is what my friend and mentor did for me. This, I think, is what Jesus is getting at when he says, whoever wants to be first must intentionally make himself or herself last and be the servant of everyone else. That's what greatness looks like, elevating others. Jesus continues, and he uh, has an object lesson, lesson. and for this object lesson, he, um, he takes a little child. And, well, this is how it goes in, uh, in verse 37. As he uh, takes this little child in his arms, he says, anyone who welcomes a little child like this, what a beautiful image, by the way, Jesus just embracing this little child in his arms. Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my Father who sent me. Now, this might not sound so radical to you and me, because in today's world, especially in the West, children do enjoy a place of honor, so to speak. Rightly so. We honor children. We recognize them as special human beings because they're, well, for one, they're vulnerable and, well, because they're children. You just should, you should honor and and respect a, a, a child, but this is not, has not always been the case. And so listen to what Chad Myers, a New Testament scholar, he says, he points this out about the first century Mediterranean culture in which Jesus lived. He said, children represented the bottom of the social and economic scale in terms of status and rights. 
It was not until early adulthood that a young person began receiving serious consideration as a member of the family group. It is remarkable enough that Jesus draws attention to all children, for they were considered non-entities. So Jesus takes this non-entity into his arms and uses the child as an example, saying anyone who welcomes a non-entity like this precious little one welcomes me. This child should be welcomed with radical hospitality. This child should be honored as a privileged guest because whoever welcomes one like this welcomes me. Jesus put this same sentiment in a different way when he was teaching his disciples also about greatness. And he said uh, in Matthew chapter 25, he says, um, you know, whenever you feed the hungry or whenever you befriend the lonely or welcome the stranger or visit the prisoner, you do those things to me. He says, just as you did those things to the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Jesus is identifying with the least of these. He's identifying with this child in his lap, this non-entity. And all of this is a way, I think, of him saying, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, elevate others. Elevate other people, especially those who are non-entities, especially those who are down and out, especially those who are lowly. And I think that this is the invitation that Jesus has for us in Mark chapter 9 today. Who can you elevate? Is there someone in your circle of influence that you can elevate? Maybe it's a simple word of affirmation. Maybe it's something else. Who, especially people who are younger than you, but anyone who really is maybe down and out, who can you elevate? At Christ Pacific, we long to be a community that elevates people who are younger than ourselves. We long to be, we aspire to be, we strive to be a community where younger disciples grow to follow Jesus faithfully. One of our core values uh, is all about this. We call it growing young. We're committed to understanding and equipping and empowering and engaging and supporting generations who are younger than us. We don't want to look down our noses at people who are younger than us. We want to elevate those who are younger so that we would look up to them. We want to hold them up to equip them and to serve them so that they might be equipped to follow Jesus all the days of their lives. This is why children and youth ministry is so important. This is why we are committed to investing in children, investing in students because of this value, which, by the way, I think Jesus embraced. Think of it this way. Jesus is the oldest guy who has ever lived. Jesus has been around since before the beginning of the foundation of the world. And so when he invested in his disciples, he was investing in people who are younger than he is. He was growing the church young. We're just doing what Jesus did. Jesus elevates people who are low, people who are young. Jesus elevates others. So how about you? Who can you elevate? 
Think of one person. You know, sometimes we get tripped up because we think, ah, oh, there's so much to do. There's so much elevating to be done out there. I don't know what to do. Just think of one person in your life. Maybe there's someone who's younger. If you're 80, that might be someone who's 50. <laughs> think of one person in your life whom you could elevate with just one word or one simple action this week. Jesus shows us how to elevate others through his own life. He sets an example for us, right? He shows us the way. He was constantly lifting up the lowly. He was constantly honoring those whom the world just disregarded. But honestly, if this is all that Jesus did, if Jesus simply showed us the way, if he just showed us an example, this is how you do it, then we would all very likely go home today tremendously discouraged because that would be like Lionel Messi saying to us, play soccer like me, good luck. This would be like Maya Angelou, write poetry like me, good luck. You can do it. No, you can't. (laughs) I mean, it sounds great. But I will never play soccer like Lionel Messi. I know that's surprising to you, but... (laughs) I also will never write poetry like Maya Angelou. Just as Jesus knows that I do not have what it takes to be the next Lionel Messi, he also knows that I do not have what it takes to follow him and to invest in others, to elevate others, and to be selfless just like Jesus. He knows that I don't have what it takes, and neither do you. There just is no way. Just like there's no way that you're going to be the next Beethoven. Now, I wouldn't say that on the second floor that's filled with little children, because maybe the next Beethoven is up there. But for us, it's too late. (laughs) (laughs) but you know what you guys thanks be to god that jesus doesn't just show us the way jesus makes a way he doesn't just show us an example he lays down his life for us so that he can turn what was no way into a highway jesus doesn't just say follow me through the Red Sea. He parts the Red Sea and makes the way for us. Jesus lifted us up out of sin when he was lifted up on the cross, and he set us free from slavery to sin. Jesus Jesus elevated us. He raised us out of death and into life when he himself rose from his grave into everlasting life. Jesus elevated us from this preoccupation with self-aggrandizement to have a preoccupation with self-sacrifice for the sake of others. Jesus doesn't just show us the way, he makes a way because he elevated your status. He changed who you are. He rewired the fabric of reality when he changed your status from slave to child. When he's changed your status from one who is enslaved to sin to one who is a child of God, you no longer are a slave to fear. You are a child. You no longer are an enemy. You are a friend of God. You no longer are a sinner. You are a saint. You are not who you used to be. 
so you can become like Jesus because he's made a way. And he's given you the gift of the Spirit to do that. All you've got to do is say yes and thank you, Jesus. Yes and thank you, Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I know that I can't do it on my own. And I know that you have made a way. So yes, Jesus, take me on that way, on that way of becoming like you, becoming Christ-like so that I can elevate others, so that I can lift them up. That's what greatness looks like. Let's pray. Jesus, you are very great. You sit on the highest throne because you went to the deepest depths. We praise you and worship you. Thank you that you have shown us the way and that you have made a way. As we approach the communion table, as we celebrate this sacrament, Jesus, will you remind us yet again that you have given yourself so that we might become more like you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons, or to subscribe, or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at cpchb.org.